can we start? Welcome to the Rise of the Super Being podcast. I'm Vanderson Peters, and today we're going to talk with Dr. Lauren Bryce. Very, very interesting stuff. So before we, before we start, we're getting into the podcast. Uh, quick note, this podcast uh, it's, is sponsored by Combat Room. So if you want to learn Jiu-Jitsu in a safe environment, meet cool people and learn a very powerful skill, so come to see me and my team at www.combatroom.co.nz. Right, Dr. Lauren Bryce, thank you so much for coming. Okay. Um, and also, just another note, you can watch this podcast on YouTube and you can listen as well on Spotify and so many other platforms. So, Dr. Lauren... <laughs> First of all, you're, of course, you're the one of the cool people who does BJJ. Am, yeah. <laughs> so why, 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 did, why did you start doing BJJ? Um, I think there were probably lots of reasons, but I'd come along to a few of um, the competitions that you run. And um, I just thought it looked like, a, I didn't know what was going on, but I thought it looked like a really, really interesting sport. Uh -huh. One of those sports where you're kind of continuously learning. So I think that was part of what drew me to it I guess um yeah I guess that would be the main reason but also then there's like the fitness aspect of it as well and self-defense so mm -hmm. yeah lots of reasons I think. yeah how, lo how long you've been doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu now for um I think we were talking about this the other day I think about eight months now so eight months? yeah so joined earlier this year so uh -huh. yeah ah, that's awesome that's yeah cool yeah so how how your journey with uh, psychology? Mm. How did you start this? Why why did you decide to do to study psychology and become a doctor in, in psychology? Yeah. yeah, I had a feeling you would ask me that. Uh. <laughs> and actually, you know, like I um, I was never one of those kids who always knew what I wanted to do as a career. Um, actually, when I went to university, I had signed up for a completely different course. I was going to do sciences and then at the last minute I decided to change to Bachelor of Arts um, and some of those papers were psychology papers so I just went through and thought that looks interesting that looks interesting and uh -huh. then yeah it just sort of went from there I suppose so yeah. Mm -hmm. How long ago was that? Um, I left, when did I leave school? It must be 2007? Mm. 2008? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah so about 10, oh, no, that would have been 13 years ago now. So, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, a long time ago. Ah, that's <laughs> cool. And now you're you're clinical psychologist, right? Yes, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I registered, oh, I finished all my studies um, at the end of last year, so about a year ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Mm. And how about your PhD? So mm. what, what that was about it? Yeah, so that was... Um, Basically, it was looking at anxiety and the kinds of thought processes that mm. can maintain it or create risk for it. Um, so essentially, that's it in a nutshell. Mm. I don't know if you want me to go into any more detail. Yeah, yes, of <laughs> course. We're going to go through all the details about okay. that. That's right. so interesting. Because yeah. anxiety, has, it's one of the, the, the biggest uh, um, yeah problems we yeah. are facing at the moment right it's 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 massive. very common mm. yeah yeah it's actually um and i was for my phd we were 
looking at um, those kinds of cognitive processes in children. And yeah, it's one of the most common difficulties for children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, that's so interesting. Yeah. So let's start with what, what is anxiety? Can, what's yeah. the definition of that? What's yeah. anxiety? So um, one way to think about anxiety or one way to define it is um, feelings of dread that we get um, in anticipation of some kind of future event. Um, so it's a little bit different from fear, but it's, there's a lot of overlap. So fear is in response to, um, an immediate threat or an immediate kind of danger that's right in front of you. So that's what people kind of think of as the fight or flight response. Um, so I guess humans are a bit unique in that we are able to, because of our brains, we're able to really visualize and anticipate future events. Um, and so that's why we get anxious. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like I said, there's a lot of overlap um, between fear and anxiety. There's just sort of that subtle mm-hmm. difference in that there's an immediate threat versus an anticipated threat. So mm-hmm. I guess an example might be I'm walking in the woods and I see a bear and I get this um, flood of adrenaline and I'm going to do one of three things. So I'm going to run away. I'm going to try and fight it uh-huh. or I'm going to freeze. So that's like a fear response. Uh-huh. Um, but anxiety would be a little bit more like, I guess, earlier today when I was thinking about doing this podcast, uh-huh. right? So <laughs> what are all the things that could go wrong? Like I might say something stupid or my boss might watch it. And uh-huh. so, you know, I was feeling a bit restless. I might feel a bit nauseous as well. So mm-hmm. there's a subtle difference in there, but obviously... Because our brains are so good at um, visualizing possible future events, it can kind of feel like that the threat is happening right now. So we might get some of those same fight or flight kind of responses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, mm. Mm. so what, what, are, what are the symptoms of uh, anxiety? Mm. So there's actually lots of symptoms. So yeah. <laughs> I guess if we take fight or flight, I mean, most people are quite familiar with that. So... Um, yeah, like I said, your body gets flooded with adrenaline, your heart might start beating really fast, you might get shaky, so some people get trembling, um, some people get tingling as well, and mm-hmm. like their hands or feet, um, shortness of breath, um, yeah, blood pressure goes up, so all those things that your body does to prepare you for a threat. So most people are kind of familiar with that, and then there's some other symptoms that are, I guess... Um, more closely aligned with anxiety, so thinking about future events. And those can be things like um, having difficulty sleeping, um, feeling irritable as well. Mm -hmm. So often people um, don't actually realise they're anxious because they're feeling irritable, and so they think that it's something else. Mm. Um, Cognitive problems, so trouble making decisions, um, difficulty concentrating or paying attention, um, trouble remembering things. Um, people, some people get sort of abdominal problems as well. So like, um, they might get a sore stomach or they might get nauseous. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, or restlessness, like I said before. So they might find that they sort of start pacing or that sort of thing, sort of this feeling of pent up energy. Mm. Yeah. So there's sort of actually a wide range of ways that people experience anxiety. That's so interesting because 
the the symptoms you just described kind of mm. it's really similar as well for example if we are very excited about something yes. right <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> and uh, yeah that's interesting because actually excitement and anxiety are are kind of related emotions in a way because excitement is about anticipating something good happening, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas anxiety is more about anticipating something bad happening. Mm -hmm. So they are related. And yeah, you might get similar kinds of physiological responses. Mm. Yeah. That's so interesting. So, such mm. a fine line, right? Mm. Between uh, those two. Yeah. So why do we get uh, anxiety? So what's, what's this condition, yeah. this human condition? Yeah. I mean, um, all emotions serve some kind of function and purpose. Um, and they tell us something really important about our environment and what's going on. Um, and I guess if we think about it from like an adaptive perspective or an evolutionary perspective, um, fear and anxiety would have served a really important function in our evolutionary past. It would have helped us to stay safe. Mm -hmm. So it would have helped us to um, avoid any potential threats and particularly anxiety, being able to anticipate if something bad is going to happen. So there might be a predator over there, um, or there might be another group of humans over there that might harm me. Being able to anticipate that and then avoid that before you're actually confronted with a threat would have been very adaptive. It would have increased our chances of survival. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's sort of, I guess, the evolutionary basis for why we get it. Yeah. Mm. Mm. But uh, we can get uh, a little bit too far for that, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So how, yeah. how when when does when does become become a problem? When yeah. this becomes a, a disorder? Yeah. So yeah, I guess there's kind of two parts there. So you were mentioning um, we can kind of take it too far sometimes. Mm. So maybe I'll just sort of um, start there. Um, so basically we've got this old machinery, right, that's been evolved over thousands, hundreds of thousands of years. Um, but we're kind of in a different environment now. So we're in this environment where actually we live in bigger social groups. So there's a lot more humans to be worrying about and our position in that social group, I suppose, our status, how, how many resources we have compared mm -hmm. to other humans. But then we also have, I guess, more... Um, like chronic stresses, ongoing stresses, rather than, say, encountering a, a bear or a tiger, we have other kinds of stresses that are, I guess, long-term. So can I hold down a job? What do my finances look like? <laughs> uh, what's the state of the environment? How is my relationship going? So I guess the stresses are different, but we've got this old machinery. So that's kind of the first part, and, and I guess the second part of the question is when does it become a problem now, right? Because it still serves a really important function um, even now. Um, but it becomes a problem essentially when it prevents you from doing what you want to do or what you need to do, right? <laughs> so if it gets in the way there. So, for example, um, you can't leave your house because your anxiety is so bad um, you're, or you avoid going to work. You can't go places like the supermarket. Um, you can't leave the house without having to um, plan out exactly where you're going, what you're doing, what time. Um, 
or you're very fixated on routine, I suppose. Um, so, yeah, I guess those are just all examples of ways that it might stop you from doing the things that you need to do or you want to do. So, mm-hmm. mm. so, so Dr. Lauren, what's, what's, what's the reinforcement? So how yeah. someone keep a, you know, ruminating those, those, mm. those feelings and keeping this cycle over yeah. and over, over again? Yeah. So... Um, I guess the way I think about it is, or I guess a simpler way of thinking about it is that, um, there's a behavioral component to it and like a cognitive component to it or like a a thought component, a thought process. Mm. So at the core of it, the behavioral component is avoiding the things that really scare you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's essentially it. Um, and then the cognitive component um, kind of boils down to overestimating how much threat um, a situation or um, a scenario poses and underestimating your ability to cope with that. So that's kind of the essence of it. Mm. Um, so I guess I could run you through an example to, I guess, make it make a bit more yes, sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess I'll use a... Uh, what should I do? Um, a f- dog phobia. There we go. Right. It seems like yeah. a relatively <laughs> kind of simple one. Um, not that I, I don't think I've ever met anyone with a dog phobia, yeah. but, um, so let's say you're, you're really, really scared of dogs. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you start walking down the street and you see a dog coming towards you. And so what your brain does is it overestimates the amount of threat that the situation might pose. So the dog might be on a leash, but your brain's going, this dog is really dangerous. Um, It's going to bite you. You're not going to be able to get away. And so you get this flood of adrenaline going and you start feeling really, really anxious. Um, And that anxiety in and of itself can actually reinforce some of those thought processes. So I'm feeling anxious, so this must be dangerous. And so you go into fight or flight mode and you run away. So you get out of there. Um, And so that's avoidance in a way. Mm -hmm. And because you've done that, um, so you you run away and your anxiety comes down again. And that feels good, right? Because people don't generally like feeling anxious. (laughs) So it feels good. And so your brain says, oh gosh, like you should do that again. You need to do that again. You need to avoid dogs. Um, You shouldn't pet dogs. You shouldn't go anywhere near dogs. So you can kind of see how avoiding it in some ways reinforces it. So the next time you see a dog, you're going to run away. Or you might just avoid any places that where there might be dogs. So you can kind of see how there's a, a combination of um, thought processes and behavioral processes that can kind of maintain that. That cycle. Wow, that's so mm. interesting. So the fact of mm. someone to become avoidant of something, it's mm. the brain just mm. releases that sensation mm. and mm. that reinforcement. How mm. can someone break this the cycle? Mm. Um, <laughs> here's the bad news. <laughs> so the best way to do it is actually um, expose yourself. Mm. So the thing that that you're scared of. Um, and it's, it sounds easier said than done, and it kind of is. So you've got to kind of go about it in um, a structured sort of way, so a very gentle way. So, um, for example, if we'll use the dog scenario again. So mm-hmm. what, you'd, what you'd need to do is you'd need to sit down and make a list in order of 
the kinds of situations that involve dogs that scare you. Um, so in order from least scary to most scary. So most scary would probably be, you know, patting a dog. Mm-hmm. Least scary might be being in the same room as a dog. And then middle might be um, patting a small dog. So um, the idea is that you expose yourself in that kind of stepwise manner, going from the least scary to the most scary thing. And the idea is that it creates new learning in your brain. So it actually creates new connections. And the connections are about things like um, it's not as scary as as I initially thought it was. Um, I'm able to cope with this situation. So it's kind of readjusting um, that risk assessment in your brain and also developing confidence in in managing a situation that really frightens you. So... Mm. That's kind of the essence, the yeah, essence yeah. of it, That's really. That's super, super interesting. Yeah. Because what you're saying, it's pretty much you understand what you're, what's creating the whole mm. problem. Mm. Create a game plan. Mm. Start with baby steps, mm. but take action, right? Yes, yes, take action. <laughs> I really like that. Uh. <laughs> and I guess you could think of like a jujitsu example. So... I don't know. I could probably um, use my own experience of it. So, so coming to jujitsu for me was outside of my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And so, like the first step that I did was I found out a bit about jujitsu. I went and watched some competitions. So that's not that scary because mm-hmm. you know I don't really have to get in there and do it. <laughs> but I'm exposing myself to it in a way, right? And then. The next step might be contacting the trainer and asking if you can come along and and have a look. So Mm -hmm. that's actually what I did as well. Mm -hmm. And then the next step might be going to watch a class, going and sitting and watching, which I also did. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And then the next step might be um, going along with a friend. And so obviously I knew Charlie, so Uh I'm going along there. So that's scary. And then build up to being able to go by yourself. So you can see you sort of build your way up to it in a very gentle way mm-hmm. because the trap that can happen when when you do expose yourself to something that or a situation that's scary is that you exit out of it too quickly, So, um, which actually reinforces that whole cycle of I can't cope with this, um, this is really scary. So you actually need to be in the situation long enough in order for that new learning to take place and for the anxiety to slowly start coming down again yeah wow i love that that's Mm. so interesting Mm. what a device that's Mm. super important very Mm. powerful very powerful Mm. so dr lauren what which type of person's in risk of developing anxiety Mm. in this this disorder yeah so i mean anyone can essentially Mm -hmm. but obviously um some people um, yeah, might be more at risk than other people. Um, and everything is a combination of um, our genetics mm-hmm. and our experiences or environment, however you want to put that. Mm-hmm. Um, so the research suggests that around about 30 to 40% of the variance um, in anxiety or anxiety disorders um, can be explained by um, genetics although there's not sort of like one anxiety gene per se it's mm-hmm. probably a whole lot of different interacting genes um, which then interact with the experiences that you have so there's 
there's a lot of things that can influence your risk. So um, parenting is one factor that's been looked at in the research um, and which I did look at in my PhD as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Could you please give an example for that? Yeah, yeah. So um, it is a little bit complex because Mm -hmm. there's all sorts of complex interactions that go on between children and their parents. But one... Um, parenting style that's been implicated in anxiety is um, what's called overprotection. So basically, um, that's sort of, um, I mean, it sort of explains itself really, right? (laughs) Overprotection. So like um, giving your child warnings about how dangerous things are, um, not letting them maybe play on a big playground because you think it's too dangerous for them. Um, letting them avoid going to school because they're too scared of going to school. So those sorts of things. But I should say, and this is really important, I think, that it doesn't come from a bad place. It comes from a place of children or parents loving their children, right? And Mm -hmm. they they don't want to see their child distressed. Of course, no one wants to see someone they love in distress, right? Mm -hmm. So it comes from that kind of place. And the interesting thing is, is that um, children can actually elicit that behaviour from their parents. So it's not necessarily a, you know, top-down parent-child. So um, a ch- children who, I guess, might be more genetically predisposed um, might behave in more anxious ways. So get distressed more easily, um, don't like novel situations or new people or new things um, and they can become very upset so you can see how a parent might step in to sort of relieve that distress and say no you don't you don't have to go to school or um, oh no that's all right you don't have to do that or you know so you can kind of see how there's these complex interactions that (laughs) can kind of unfold over time I suppose yeah wow that's super super interesting Mm. in um what else? What other styles of parenting can can increase this mm. this, this problem? Mm. So that, um, as far as my knowledge go, that is that is the it's main the kind the main of one. yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, there are other types that that probably would create a risk um, for anxiety, but it might not be specific to anxiety. Mm-hmm. So things like criticism per se. Right. Um, really critical, so I guess lots of put downs. Mm-hmm. Um, that sort of thing could increase a child's risk for a range of problems. Mm. Yeah. The um, psychology classify anxiety in different levels. There, mm. there, there, this distinction between anxiety. Mm. Like a different severity mm. of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess. Yeah, we kind of conceptualize it on a continuum, like everyone's on that continuum somewhere mm. and your place in that continuum can change depending on, yeah, your your life experiences. So um, if you're bullied, for instance, you're probably going to go higher up that continuum, right? Or if you experience a bereavement, you're probably more likely to go up that continuum or um, if you're in a really bad car accident, you're probably going to go up as well. So mm-hmm. throughout our lives, we probably change where we are um on that continuum yeah mm. so it's not sort of a fixed state per se you know what uh, what kind of a thoughts can instigate can feed the the, the anxiety mm. so yeah i guess what i said before about um 
I guess the cognitive processes that mm. can kind of keep it going, I, I suppose. It's about, um, yeah, what I said, overestimating the threat that a situation poses and underestimating your own ability to cope with that or your own resources to cope with that. Um, so maybe I... Maybe I could give and run through another. I'll try and think of an example because yeah. I think it makes more sense when it's sort of in the in in a context like that. Yeah, I think the dog example was great. Yeah, yeah and the yeah. and I love the parenting as well. That is yeah. such a mm. important information. I mm. think because and also um, how the parent can can identify they are they yeah. are doing that because yeah. that's another step as well. Not yeah. to be able to accept the fact of you overprotecting. Mm your kid and mm. the consequence of that for them in the future mm. um mm. so yeah. so what's this <laughs> yeah. what's what's the best way to 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 do um, that so for example if a parent now it's listen to mm. this so it's very valuable mm. information mm. how can identify themselves okay am i over over protecting my child mm. or mm. what's what's your advice for that um, I should probably disclose that I, mm. um, I actually don't work with parents and children. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> at moment. so, um, I'm a bit reticent to give out advice like that, but mm. some of it, um, might be driven by the parents' own anxiety as well, because obviously if there's a genetic kind of component to it, it's more likely to run in families. Mm-hmm. So the parent might be anxious themselves. And so some of it might be driven by their own anxiety. So that's one way of looking at it. And of course, um, they could go out and get the support they need for that. Um, but in terms of specific advice, I think I would be quite yes, reticent to step outside <laughs> my area. Uh-huh. Yeah. So just going back to the examples you're thinking yeah. about the, for the types of anxiety. So, yeah. um, can you think about another, another example? Um, I, I guess I'm thinking of other things that have happened to me at jujitsu. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was th- I was thinking about um, you know when you make us do those uh, you make us you make us do those handstand things, right? Right. The flippy ones where yes. you have to do a handstand. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really tactical move, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we haven't quite got it, but. Right, so we have to do the handstands and flip over someone. To take the back, put the two hooks in. Yeah. Super hard. Yeah, it's very hard. (laughs) And I think I've got like about, you know, 50% of the time I can make it over. And the other half of the time I'm just bailing, you know, like Uh I'm I'm going up and I'm flipping off down the side or I'm just, you know, I'm not doing it. It's just not working. (laughs) Limbs are going everywhere. And, um, right, so, you know, a situation might be you go to do that and you – you just completely stuff it up, right? So you like you fall off to the side, and it looks a bit silly, right? Um, but you might hear someone laughing, right? So I might do that, and I might hear someone laughing, and so there's kind of two ways my thought process might go, right? So, mm-hmm. so one way might be, uh, oh my gosh, that person is laughing at me. <laughs> They're laughing at me, and they think I'm an idiot. And so once I get that thought in my head, I might start feeling really, really anxious um 
and then I might run out of the class, right? And then I might never come back. Yeah. So that's that's one way the thought process can kind of, I guess, influence how you feel and also your behavior as well and lead to that cycle. The other way, uh, so I might have a different kind of thought. So I might think, oh, they're just sharing a joke with someone else in the corner. And so, of course, I'm not going to get anxious, right? Or I'm not going to yeah. get as anxious. Um and I'll probably come back to the class. So you can kind of see how there's this blow-on effect from thoughts to feeling to behavior. And your thoughts can really influence um, how you feel and how you behave. Mm. Wow, that's so mm. interesting. Yeah, what mm. a great example. So yeah. many people out there are going to be able to relate to that. Oh, yeah. I that's so. awesome. <laughs> but what, what I find so interesting about yeah. everything you're saying, it's the... Um, it, it, it's all mental, right? It's, mm. it's all a, a mm. mental process. You know? it's, mm. a, it's a kind of, uh, if uh, the person that's living on that uh, daydream, right? And mm. they, they become, that becomes so much real for them mm. to not be able to, to break this, this cycle. It's, it's that right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's a way of thinking about it. So, um, yeah, and I guess that kind of links to what I was saying before. So, like, how you interpret the information that's um in your environment does have a big impact and and it can feel real right so mm. like if i think this person is laughing at me then um that's gonna feel real to me right mm. yeah and also it might influence this was kind of another part of my research as well um it might influence how you remember that event so even though this person might not have been laughing at you or at me i've um thought to myself they are and then when I think back on that situation again, it might even become kind of um, embellished. So the whole class was laughing at me because I, mm. I fell over. So, um, yeah, I think it can, it can feel real um, just based on an interpretation of the event. Yeah. Mm, that's mm. so interesting. Mm. Because I, I, I read something about uh, uh, PTSD mm. saying about, uh, um, I, I don't remember exactly the proportion, but it's uh, one part is the one keep uh, uh, remembering the what's happened mm. to them, right? Mm -hmm. in, in some in some bad uh, mm. event. Mm. But the other part, it's the one they keep thinking about what didn't happen to them and what could happen mm -hmm. to them. Mm. Um, is, is that, is that uh, right? Yeah, so... Um, PTSD is a little bit, a little bit different from anxiety. It's mm -hmm. technically not considered an anxiety disorder anymore, even though, um, a major symptom of PTSD can be feelings of anxiety. Mm. Um, so yeah, what you're talking about is reliving the experience yes. again and again. Uh -huh. Yeah. So, um... Oh, what was the second part you said? Sorry. So one part's about like reliving it again and then the yeah, other Yeah, and the second yeah. part, it's thinking about uh, mm. the the possibility. So, uh, so for example, a car could yeah. hit me or yes. this, yeah. you know, this could happen. And it started yeah. creating all those possibilities. What's yes. all unreal. Yeah. Nothing yeah. that's, it's, yeah. it's real. Yeah, so, so, um, yeah, so with PTSD, what can happen is um, your brain can kind of relive that scenario over and over again, say a car crash, mm. and it can make it feel like it's happening again. And it can also, so the second part to what you were saying is it can affect your risk assessment. 
So because you've had this scary event happen to you, you're more likely to think that there's a higher risk of it happening again. And so you can kind of, yeah, it changes your risk assessment. Mm. Um, and so you're more, more, even more likely to overestimate that something like that could happen because it has happened to you, right? Mm-hmm. Something really unexpected, something that you thought would never happen to you has happened. So why couldn't it happen again? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it can really change how you um, appraise risk. Mm. Yeah, which makes sense, right? Because what your brain is and is essentially trying to do is to keep you safe. That's the whole purpose of that feeling and that cognitive process. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, it just kind of goes a bit overboard to the extent that, um, yeah, it can, like I said, get in the way of you doing what you want to do and what you need to do and mm-hmm. living the kind of life you want. So, yeah. yeah. So, Dr. Laurie, what's what's your opinion about why so many people now it's it's – it's dealing with anxiety. So yeah. what's causing so much uh, yeah. of this, this feeling, this overwhelming feeling of pretty mm. much everybody around us? No, it's, uh, and, you know, we all yeah. some, in some degree have this, mm. this, this feeling. And, and I've, you know, especially now in those days, mm. you know, they uh, address lots of that, uh, this feeling with... Uh, the amount of social media, mm. Um, mm. the amount of distractions we mm. have, uh, so people are more mm. inside than outside. They are moving less mm. than what we're supposed to do, right? Mm. As mm. as human beings. Yeah. So what what's your thoughts? Why why do you think uh, you know today we have to deal with so much? Uh, anxiety and depression as well right because mm, they overlap of, a lot yeah, yeah they overlap right yeah mm. yeah so i think um yeah i guess what i was saying before about we have this old machinery right mm. but we're in a completely different kind of environment now and um i think there's a few different things so yeah we live in much bigger social groups than we used to we used to live in small kind of tribes I guess you could say small groups um, but now we live in the massive cities and we're exposed to lots of different people and so um, I guess we're always sort of thinking about um, how do I compare to these people do I have yeah like I said as many resources as this person um, am I going to be kicked out of the social group and you, you mentioned social media before um, and I think that you're plays quite a big role actually Mm -hmm. in some people's anxiety um because i guess if we think about again how we've evolved right so um it would have been adaptive to to compare ourselves to other people right because we would have want to know how we were going in terms of everyone else otherwise we might have got kicked out we might have got rejected from the social group and that would have meant death. And mm-hmm. so it's adaptive to be thinking about that. But the difference now is we're exposed to things like social media and we're living in these much larger social groups. Um, and it kind of almost exacerbates that um, that kind of anxiety, yeah. right? We're just exposed to that. So um, part of it, I think, is about yeah exposure to information and not just social information not just social media mm-hmm. but we're exposed to i mean you, one click away you're on a news website that's talking about how the world is 
dying or you know there's been a major catastrophe or we just have access to so much more information that suggests that our world is a really threatening scary place Mm -hmm. (laughs) right yeah (laughs) and everything's just a disaster Uh, so of course that's going to make you feel anxious right mm -hmm. so exposure to information i think is another one um and then um yeah, I guess like I said before about how we've got different kinds of stresses now. We have these chronic stresses, whereas I guess in our evolutionary past, um, we would have less of those. It would have been more about imminent threats to our safety, so staying away from predators. Mm-hmm. Whereas now, yeah, it's things like yeah, finances, relationships, jobs, um, all those sorts of things. So I think... That is the reason why, in my uh-huh. opinion, uh, old machinery, but um, a new kind of environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. You know, in your studies, what did you find more, I don't know, beneficial or even curious about anxiety? Mm. So, um, essentially, I was looking at the thought processes that might pose a risk for anxiety in young people mm-hmm. or kind of maintain it once it's once it's already quite high Mm -hmm. um and i was looking at um how people interpret ambiguous situations Mm. so the example that i gave before about the laughter in the class Mm -hmm. that i mean that's an ambiguous situation right yeah yeah. they could be laughing at me Mm -hmm. but also they might not be um and so the majority of the time they laugh at me no worries <laughs> well oh, you know there's sort of like a step further like, yeah. even if they were laughing at me like it doesn't really matter because you know yeah <laughs> they're probably going to do it as well and yeah. like and it's not malicious so yes there's the difference there uh-huh. um but yeah so what the research shows is that people with high levels of anxiety tend towards interpreting those situations um, in a threatening way, so mm. they're laughing at me, or yeah, that dog is really dangerous, versus um, no, they're just having a joke, or they're just laughing with their friend, or actually this dog looks quite small and friendly, so mm. um, you can kind of see how thinking in that way can kind of get the ball <laughs> rolling mm-hmm. and keep it rolling. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, but then the next part of it was looking at how those interpretations then affect how you remember the situation, right? So I guess like what I was saying before, so if you um, think that you're being laughed at, then that's how you're going to remember it. And so the next time you're in a similar situation, you're going to draw that memory out and you're going to think, the last time I was in the situation, I was being laughed at. And so this might be what's happening in this situation too. And you can kind of see how then mm. someone would want to avoid a situation yes. like that, right? So <laughs> I was being laughed at. I'm not going out in public again. And I'm never going to jiu-jitsu ever again. Mm-hmm. So you can sort of see how there's this <laughs> uh-huh. cycle there, I suppose you could say. Yeah. That's super interesting. Mm. Mm. So what's your what's your advice for, for people to first to identify that mm. uh, and also to not allow this to take the best of their themselves right the mm. best of their lives mm, yeah so i guess I, uh, my first piece of advice would be um if you feel like it's really bad and it's really getting in the way of what you want to do then definitely seek some help with that some support with that um 
I guess I would also say um, anxiety's not always a bad thing either. So it it feels bad, but it's not necessarily bad. You know, we all experience anxiety from time to time. Um, and so your question. So I keep forgetting your question. Your yeah, question yeah. <laughs> I'm just like blabbing. No, um, so the, yeah, no, yeah. That's, that's good. It's yeah. about giving people. First, uh, how to identify that, yeah. and, and after, what they mm. can do to to break their cycle, yeah. so they don't become uh, prisoners of yeah. that uh, yeah. that situation. Yeah, yeah, it's correct to call disorders. When, yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess sometimes that term, um, and I can see why it's a bit sort of um, there's like stigma attached to it. Yeah. So. And it's not the best word, but I can't really think of another word. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I guess it would be about seeking help, recognizing that anxiety is not always a bad thing, even though it can feel bad. Mm-hmm. And then it would, I guess, managing it would be about, um, yeah, exposing yourself to things that scare you, but doing it in a really kind of structured sort of way um, that builds up. So it builds up to the thing that's the most scary thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you were also talking about emotional fitness before, mm-hmm. and I think actually that's really important for um, understanding and managing anxiety. So part of that um, is about, well, I think it's about um, understanding how you yourself experience different emotions So um, and being able to label that. So um, what am I actually feeling right now? What is the emotion? Put a label on it. Um, what does my body do when I feel this? So what do I notice in my body? Um, my heart's going or has my breathing changed? Do I Am I carrying tension anywhere? And then this is actually the hardest part, but the thoughts. So what kinds of thoughts do I get? So what am I actually predicting is going to happen here? Am I overestimating the amount of threat? So you can kind of start questioning some of the thoughts if you can start identifying them. So... Um, what is the likelihood that this um, threatening thing is going to happen? Um, what happened the last couple of times that I've had this thought? So just starting to kind of um, readjust that risk assessment as well can be a bit can be helpful for some people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then also you've got things like relaxation, obviously. Um, can be helpful for some people. Mm. Some people don't like it for anxiety because it makes them feel like they're out of control. <laughs> so <laughs> that one, it's for some works for some people, but not not for other people. I think. Mm. But I think at the core of it is essentially you need to create some new learning and learn that you can cope with these situations and you you can manage it, but in an obviously gentle, safe kind of way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so interesting because everything you just described, not it, it's. Um, if we can um, define in just mm. one word, it's be present, right? Mm. The body scan, right? Mm. You identify yeah. your surrounds, and yeah. and this is a it's a way you just describe a way to mm. pretty much to wake up, right? Mm. So, mm. You know, I'm living inside of my mind, mm. so I'm having those mm. all those thoughts, mm. and when I'm start doing what you said about. Uh, What's I'm, what I'm feeling mm. right now? Mm. Am I feeling tense in any mm. part of my body? It's mm. the triggers to wake mm. up. You know, it's present. Mm. Nothing's happened. I'm here yeah. right now. Yes, <laughs> definitely. And um, yeah, and I guess it is mindful in a way, right? Mm. And um, I think that can also be really important 
um, if you've got high levels of anxiety because part of what can actually make the experience of anxiety frightening is not understanding what's going on in your body. You, it feels out of control, but once you, a lot of people notice that once you start kind of paying attention to that, noticing exactly what's going on, it actually feels a bit easier to manage. Mm -hmm. It's not as scary, right? You kind of understand what's happening. So it can kind of take a bit of the edge off it, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes it feel like it's more manageable. So, mm. Wow, Dr. Lawrence, so good to have you here. The, the, yeah, this yeah. podcast has been amazing. So many cool information there. Yeah. Um, yes, really, really cool. It's yeah. it's going to be one podcast. Thanks I'm going to listen me. more than, than once. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Don't listen too closely. <laughs> Super yeah. cool. Yeah, awesome yeah. advice, awesome information. Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much. So no worries. What's, um, what's... Do you have any any quote or, mm. or something you live by and something has helping you through through your life or through mm. did you feel any anxiety doing your PhD? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> it was awful. <laughs> no, it was all right. But yeah, doing a PhD is that's that's one of those ongoing stresses that I'm talking about. A chronic <laughs> a chronic stressor, yeah. Um oh so you asked about like a quote or Yeah, or or, or like, some yeah. thought or or yeah. even a book who has helped yeah. you to, you know, to go through your challenge. Yeah. Um, one that I like, I don't actually know who to attribute it to, mm -hmm. though. A, a quote is, um, everyone's doing the best they can with the resources at their disposal. I really like that. Wow. I think it's so true. Yes. Yeah, I think it's so true. And, I mean, I guess if you think about it in terms of anxiety, I mean, even if even if you're sort of avoiding something that you're scared of, um, I think that quote really applies because um, you probably just need some more resources, so some more confidence or a way of being able to manage it or, um, yeah, feel comfortable kind of confronting what you're afraid of. So, yeah. Mm. That's amazing, mm. yeah. So, Dr. Lauren, thank you so much for no your worries. time. Yeah, yeah, thank you so much for your knowledge. Yeah, really, really enjoyed this podcast. And, oh. and I see you. I see you on the mats. Yeah, you will. <laughs> thank you so much. No worries. <laughs> How long was that?